You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast. I'm Jordan Schrader, hosting this week along with Will Doran, Colin Campbell, Lynn Bonner, and Craig Jarvis. We'll talk about the latest in the confirmation process for Governor Roy Cooper's cabinet nominees and appointees. We'll talk about uh, the latest on HB2 and how uh, companies and organizations are responding to the compromise that was reached last week. Uh, We'll talk about uh, Cooper's latest veto threat and about uh, some new uh, standards for uh, students taking English classes in North Carolina. Uh, So let's start off with the cabinet. Uh, Craig, uh, today it sounds like uh, Governor Cooper is going to uh, release at least one of his uh, last two nominees for the cabinet that he hasn't appointed. Um, And meanwhile, there were several of them that uh, went through the process of Senate confirmation this week. Uh, Most recently, Michael Reagan, who had his confirmation hearing on Thursday, I guess. Um, how did that go? People had thought ahead of time that there might be some pointed questions. Uh, what happened? Well, it went pretty smoothly, all in all. Uh, the, most of, well, all, all of them have gone smoothly, except for Susie Hamilton, who got a handful of no votes in a Senate committee meeting related to a specific local issue. Uh, but for, by, by and large, these have all been kind of love fests, almost very polite, very cordial, you know, thorough. Um, sort of, if there are pointed questions, they've been kind of apologetic. I think there were two that we expected that could run into turbulence. One was Dr. Mandy Cohen at DHHS. I didn't cover that one, but I understand it was quite, to say, once again, a love fest. It was easy sailing. She impressed them very much. And it was really the same thing Thursday with uh, Michael Reagan, who's going to run the uh, or is running the Department of Environmental Quality. He used to work for the, you know, bogeyman agency, the, the EPA, if you're a Republican in North Carolina. That's a, kind of a, a bad mark uh, on your record. And then he went to, uh, into a, 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 he went to work for the Environmental Defense Fund after that. So those would seem like two big kind of strikes against him, but he was very accomplished. He did his homework just like Cohen did, meeting with legislators ahead of time, and uh, just kind of reassured them that he was all about, his whole career had been about stakeholders. I think that word came up in every single answer to every question. The solution to figuring out these problems uh, are convene the, you know, the right interest groups and figure it out. Um, and he talked, you know, the need to balance environmental protection with economic responsibility and uh, that kind of thing. So basically with Reagan, we got the, the eight appointments that, had, that the governor had announced uh, to date. They have begun the process of going through each candidate has to go through a couple committees and then is finally signed off on by the Senate. And uh, today the information I, I'm hearing is that his final two, there are 10 cabinet members, uh, that would be IT and revenue, uh, will be announced. So um, um, it, I don't know why it took this long. It's been, you know, he's been in office since the January 1st. The others were appointed in January or maybe into February a little bit, but uh, for some reason, they either had other things to worry about or some hitch uh, in coming up with these final two nominees. Is there anything delaying the others from going through the rest of the process, or is that just kind of working its way through? I think it's just working its way through. There's been other priorities. You know, the whole HB2 repeal took up everybody's energy for a while there. Uh, apparently, they asked Su- or during Susie Hamilton's hearing, 
they asked her for some additional information about potential conflicts of interest related to outside or past employment, and uh, that's apparently uh, has been provided, and she's you know lined up to be approved by the full Senate. Yesterday, they approved. Um, uh, who did they approve? Michelle Sanders and Cohen, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. Uh, so um, then this week, it was, earlier this week, the committee approved Reagan and uh, Tony Copeland for commerce. So uh, it's interesting. This has been the subject of a court fight. Cooper sued to say to stop the Senate from invoking this new law that says they have the authority to uh, advise and consent on cabinet nominations. Cooper thought that was uh, unconstitutional encroachment of, of the executive power. Um, um, but all in all, these have been kind of an exercise in the Senate saying, see, we just wanted to do what we said we could do. And uh, there's been no real roadblocks in front of any of the cabinet nominees. As long as you mentioned the court fight, uh, there's also, uh, in the same, as part of the same case, Cooper was challenging uh, this other law that took away some power from him on appointing people related to elections and ethics. So um, there was a development on that this week. So what happened there? Well, yeah, one one aspect of that uh, of that bill that the governor sued over uh, would have merged the state uh, elections board with the state ethics board and done some reshuffling of who can be on it and who appoints it to take away some of the authority, traditional authority that the governor exercised. Uh, and so Cooper is sued over this. Uh, legislature lost on that one in the court ruling, so they've quickly come back with a bill focused on what they say addresses the court's concerns, mainly that it was an encroachment of the executive branch. And their argument is, no, the governor can, under this new bill, pick the eight members of this new board on his own, except they has to pick four from two different lists, from the Democrats and the Republicans. Each party would submit a six-name list. He picks a total of eight out of that. So, yeah, he gets to technically make the pick, but he doesn't, uh, you know, he's limited in doing that. And uh, as somebody was arguing, he gets to make the pick, but he doesn't get to control the members. That's that's, that's kind of the Republican argument. Uh, so he says Co- he'll veto that. I was just going to say, Cooper yeah. said, Cooper, as this was quickly moving through the uh, through the House yes, uh, this week, Cooper uh, yesterday said uh, he would veto this. This was just more uh, anti-election um, access, anti-fair election uh, uh, maneuver by the Republicans. And so what do the Republicans say about why they're doing this uh, again? They say it's to streamline the functions of the two board. They're very much aligned. Some other states have this kind of thing. And also that it promotes bipartisanship. How can you argue against having evenly divided boards? Um, of course, the argument is that's not the way it used to be. So it seems directed at Cooper. Unless anybody else has anything to say about uh, those topics, I think we well, could. On the confirmations, it just strikes me. I mean, obviously, the national news, you know, has been focused on the Senate and Supreme Court and, you know, nuclear options there and, you know, hard scrabble fights. And here it's just been like, like Craig was saying, a, a love fest and smooth sailing. It's uh... <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just it's it's, it's all it seemed to be about. We just said we could do this, and so now we're doing it. And you know, we're all being very collegial here. And there've been a number of mirror images. It seems like in the last year with North Carolina politics and Washington politics, and this is another one. But it's uh, it, it is playing out differently. And of course, by not uh, turning down any of his nominees, they sort of leave it as a. Uh, 
open question in court, I guess. If they if they did turn down one, then he might have more of a case to go That's to a court and correct. say, hey, look, I've got a, a, a wrong that needs to be remedied. Or, yeah, um, I think that was one of the original findings is that we don't find any harm so far to Roy Cooper. But if the legislature were to actually turn thumbs down and refuse to approve a nominee, then uh, then he would have grounds to come back and say he's been he's been harmed. Yeah. So. Um, well, the uh, fallout continued this week from the deal on HB2 with people not even being able to agree on whether it is a repeal. Uh, so, uh, Colin, on Monday we found out, I think it was Monday, uh, that the NCAA is coming back. I guess it couldn't have been Monday because Monday was the yeah, championship t- game Tuesday and it was morning. right after the championship game. Yeah, Tuesday game. morning, conveniently announced so, <laughs> when all of our sports reporters were asleep from uh, covering the big game the night before. Yeah. So North Carolina uh, wins the big uh, champion NCAA championship and just a few hours later we get the word that uh, we'll be able to host some championships. Yeah, and that was a statement they released. It was a really long statement, um, sort of indicating reluctance that uh, they evidently the NCAA did feel that North Carolina had not gone as far as they would have liked, but it did appear that they thought it was just enough to make us competitive again with other states, so we will be considered for the uh, the various bids. Uh, so far, nothing has been announced in terms of what's coming here. Uh, I believe the last date I heard was April 18th was the date that all the uh, bids would be announced. Uh, North Carolina has, I think, a couple hundred bids in, um, including at least 50 or so here in Wake County and then others in, in Greensboro or Charlotte or other areas for a wide variety of sports from the the basketball championships to uh, lesser known uh, sports and uh, non-revenue sports. So it does seem like the uh, compromise deal has accomplished its goal from that standpoint, but certainly the NCAA is is couching this as you know not perfect, which I think is a response to some of the pressure they're under from uh, the human rights campaign and some other the uh, LGBT groups that were urging the NCAA to keep blacklisting uh, North Carolina and uh, make the statement that this was not uh, a good enough repeal or not a repeal at all. And we we had that uh, I think even in our paper there was a full page ad this week from Human Rights Campaign and four or five other groups, uh, basically in very bold letters making the claim that this is not a repeal of House Bill 2. Don't be fooled, I think was the language they used. Uh, And that appeared, I think, in our paper, uh, Charlotte Observer, and then uh, a paper out in California, which I'm not really sure how they selected that for the ad, but certainly spending some money to to continue to uh, blast this deal even after the NCAA has has taken action. And uh, it seems like most of the economic sanctions are falling by the wayside. And we're still really waiting for businesses to make known uh, whether they're going to come back here and entertainers. But we did hear from some cities uh, and uh, I guess at least one state uh, uh, in their reaction to this. So what are what are different uh, government bodies doing in reaction to this? Yeah, so th- when HB2 was first passed in those first uh, controversial couple of months, uh, there were a variety of cities that banned government travel to North Carolina and I think about five different states that had banned travel to the states. So any sort of government-funded travel, anyone from a, a you know a bureaucrat going to a conference couldn't come, a sports team for a public university couldn't come uh, play a game in, in North Carolina. Um, so the question is how much of that is going to stay in place, and, and Human Rights Campaign and others are, are lobbying to keep those in place. They've had some success with cities. Uh, a couple of the major cities, including San Francisco, New York, Seattle, uh, I believe Salt Lake City as well, 
um, have announced that uh, they don't believe that the HB2 replacement uh, bill is uh, good enough, that they think North Carolina is still discriminatory and they're keeping their travel bans. Uh, we haven't heard a whole lot from the states. Uh, Washington State was one where uh, the way the travel ban was written, it expired automatically because there were changes to the law. Um, and certainly no uh, word that I've heard from that state about the governor putting something back into place. Uh, I believe Vermont is considering it, according to their governor, uh, whether to, to remove the travel ban or not. But we haven't heard any formal announcements. So I suspect uh, they may get lobbying from, from both sides. Uh, governors are sort of a close-knit group. They have their own you know, association. So certainly Roy Cooper, I'm sure, is encouraging other state leaders to lift the travel bans. Uh, meanwhile, you've got pressure from human rights campaigns and uh, campaign and other groups to keep those in place and, and keep some economic pressure on. And I guess we'll hear from business at some point, although there's uh, there's not necessarily a sort of direct boycott that could be changed now because some of the sort of lost jobs were from companies that decided to pick other states instead. So I guess the question will be whether, uh, you know, a couple months down the line, we hear from some of the economic development folks that uh, they've been able to clear the way from some deals that might not have gone forward otherwise. I had not heard about the uh, newspaper ad in California. Do you have any idea where that it was? It was the San Jose Mercury News, I think. Interesting. It was just that a lot of the human rights campaign and a lot of the Cooper money campaign money came from California. There were big fundraisers that he attended in San Francisco and I think Los Angeles. And it just yeah. strikes me as that, I guess, must that, be who it's directed That hits at. the Silicon Valley. Yeah, I think right? that's to <clears throat> sort of encourage companies. tech companies to mm. stay away from North Carolina and keep the issue in the news right. out there. Because I do think uh, <clears throat> sort of the minutia of the House Bill 2 replacement, uh, particularly outside of North Carolina, has been lost. Um, people may hear the term repeal and they assume it's been a full repeal and, and really there's a whole lot more nuance to it uh, than that. And uh, I think human rights campaign is trying to make the case that, yeah, there's a lot of nuance and the nuance is that repeal is not the right word in their, their view. Well, uh, Will, to that point of nuance being lost on uh, uh, what this does and doesn't do, you did a fact check along those lines. Uh, so uh, first of all, what was the claim that uh, that you checked? Yeah, um, I uh fact-checked uh, Caitlyn Jenner, which I never thought I'd be doing when I started this PolitiFact thing. Key polit- political figure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we never thought that, uh, you know, we'd be putting Kardashian in the, uh, you know, the right. search engine field there right. to well, find our I, stories. And especially in a week when, you know, she was only the second most famous Jenner in the news after that strange <laughs> Pepsi ad that came out. <laughs> a very long Pepsi ad. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so looked into um, uh, a tweet that she had sent out. She's got about four-ish million followers on Twitter, so, and, you know, obviously one of the most, you know, high-profile transgender people in the world, so, uh, you know, whenever she says something about, you know, gay rights, transgender rights issues, it's something a lot of people pick up on. Um, She said that uh, this new law, um, you know, didn't repeal HB2, and then she continued and said it actually orders cities to discriminate, and that the bathroom bans remain on the books. Um, so a couple parts to that. So first of right. all, with the ordering cities to discriminate, what, what's she getting at there, and is there any truth to that? Right. Um, she never responded to us when we, well, we asked her publicist, you know, kind of, hey, hey, what's up with this tweet? Um, uh, but that, the ordering cities to discriminate, that's something that is kind of, um, you know, obviously wrong. I mean, no, no. <laughs> you know, c- cities were not ordered to engage in discrimination. Um, you know, and ob- obviously she was uh, 
she was angry about the bill, as a lot of people on the on the left were. Um, although she's kind of interesting to peg down politically because she's actually a Republican um, and uh, famously uh, was a Ted Cruz supporter in this year's primary. Um, but you know, obviously on issues like this, she's uh, pretty far to the left. Um, but yeah, so we looked at that, and uh, you know, the this new law basically it uh, keeps some of the bans on local ordinances um, and says that, okay, cities and counties can't uh, create their own rules within their own borders, uh, expanding the classes that are protected from discrimination or raising the minimum wage or, you know, doing, you know, lots of kind of employment and, you know, public issues like that. So, uh, but simply, you know, banning a local ordinance is not the same thing as... uh, enforcing and mandating discrimination. So that part was wrong. She also said that um, the bathroom bans remain on the books. And um, that that was really the, not the only change, but by far the biggest change that this replacement made was that it got rid of the, the ban on essentially uh, transgender people using the bathroom of the gender they identify with. So both parts of that were wrong, and we gave the claim a false. Um, if we hear back from her explaining, we'll... We'll update that. Um, I'm not sure if we will or not. Um, but, yeah, and I know uh, Craig did a story, too. I think um, we're we're one of three states, I believe, with uh, that has continued a, a ban on local ordinances like that. Yeah, three, uh, th- one of three states, the others being uh, Arkansas and um, Georgia. No. Tennessee, right? What? Tennessee? Tennessee, yes, thank you, that prohibit local ordinances uh, on discrimination that – that are beyond what the state already does. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, Lynn, you covered kind of an interesting uh, State Board of Education meeting this yes. week. Uh, so g- give us some of the color from there. Uh, it sounds like it was uh, it was kind of interesting. And then uh, we could talk a little bit about what they actually uh, did. So. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit wild. Um, the controversial Common Core standards came back. Um, this time, the state uh, is looking to state board is was looking to change the English standards uh, about five years ago. Um, the state, uh, maybe a little more than that, the state adopted these uh, standards uh, when they actually rolled out into the classrooms. There was a huge uh, uproar. Um, a lot of the widespread uh, dissatisfaction was with uh, the math standards. Uh, nobody, uh, well, I won't say nobody, but uh, teachers, uh, students, parents didn't like the way that math was now is now being taught, um, and you know had lots of parents showing um, math homework. Uh, children brought home they thought they'd be nonsensical frustrating for the children but there's also um, dissatisfaction with the English standards as well Um, one of the most often cited criticisms was that the standards were inappropriate for younger children basically asking younger kids to um, analyze reading passages that they really weren't able to do yet Um, so this caused a huge uh, ripple in um, in the legislature. Uh, they set up a review commission to basically recommend replacement of the standards. That really uh, got stopped in its tracks. But uh, last year, the legislature tried to intervene with a rewrite of math standards in high school. That got stopped. But this has been a political um, issue as well as an educational one. Um, 
So when the English standards came back, uh, a rewrite for K-12, um, you know, the DPI took great pains to address some of the criticisms in the way that the uh, Common Core standards were adopted. Um, they had a very long um, outreach period, and, you know, they took comments from teachers and recommendations from teachers, comments from parents. I think someone said they had input from 10,000 people or something similar to that. Um just to demonstrate that, uh, you know, this wasn't something they were going to uh, ram down people's throats without any, without any input. Um, but still there was a, uh, there were some on the board who wanted an outside review, uh, an outside assessment to see whether, you know, whether these were, this, whether these were good. Uh, you know, the shadow of what uh, happened in the last three years is, is still hanging over these. And um, there was, uh, you know, a strongly, um, uh, a strong sentiment that, you know, maybe somebody from outside, outside should look at these. That uh, was rejected, and essentially they adopted these standards. And uh, another change is that rather than have these go into effect in the fall, there's going to be a much longer rolling out period, and they would be um, be effective uh, in 2018. Uh, but there was still some thought that there's going to be some some outside review of these uh, with one of the members saying, well, maybe, you know, still we can get some input from from somebody else. So um, that's the, you know, the, uh, the um, bad memories of Common Core popping up yet again. And it'll, and it'll, and it'll be back again because uh, the state is now in the process of uh, changing the K-8 math standard. So we'll see this... Uh, We'll see this issue recur uh, probably again and again for for as long as we are looking at, at standards. So, so is it, have we backed away from Common Core in this state now, or is it fair to say it's still a version of that that's still in well, place? Well, it seems as if they used uh, the standards as a baseline and then went in to change them. But, you know, as I found as I was following this uh, Academic Standards Review Commission, you know, standards are written for teachers to follow. So um, as a layperson, uh, it's hard to look at a standard and say, well, is this good? Is it any good? Is it very much different from what they had? Or is it just, uh, you know, a, a, a rewrite of the standards? They say that they changed, uh, they made major changes to the standards, to uh, quite a few of them. Um, but as one of the, uh, as the vice chairman said, you know, we're basically taking DPI's word for it. Um, so, you know, they say that they're, the standards are very much different. Um, I guess it's going to be for, uh, you know, teachers really to decide whether these are um, better than uh, what they've been using. So, so you've got these two centers of power now in education with the new school superintendent and the Board of Education. It sounded like there was some tension between the two of them there at this meeting. There was some tension. It got a little bit salty. Um, there is, uh, you know, there's a lawsuit ongoing over really who has control of DPI and who is directing uh, state education. Um, the superintendent has joined the lawsuit um, uh, on the side of the legislators who uh, who want to shift some of the hiring and the power 
to uh, the superintendent. Um, and the superintendent began the meeting, you know, there's a set amount of time for the superintendent to talk about what's going on and what he's been doing. And he used um, his time to laud the work of the three people who he has hired, um, saying that his uh, policy director has kind of been acting as a deputy superintendent and that his one of his advisors has been acting as a as his as a chief of staff uh chief of staff and deputy superintendent are two hires that are under the uh really under the power of the state board and and people that they are going to vote on um and he is uh chafing it seems against uh, uh some of these restrictions on hiring um, and so those are vacant. Right those now. two yeah. positions are still vacant, and he emphasized that you know we're getting a lot of work done with uh, really without no, without a, a deputy superintendent who is at this stage is is really someone who um, you know who they need, especially as they're going through uh, changing standards. Uh, toward the end of the meeting, there was a question that the vice chairman had about well, um, it was about uh, you know mental health and and how. Um, mental health uh, should student mental health should be flagged um, in the schools and um, he asked the superintendent about it and he said uh, well you got to ask the deputy superintendent a a, a position we uh, had a, had a long soliloquy on yeah. that is, is still vacant so it was uh, kind of like uh, oh okay um, yeah so it seems that things are, are not entirely smooth Within within uh, uh, within DPI, uh, we'll see um, how that how that proceeds. But um, yeah, you know, there's still you know uh, division and and question about the balance of power in in education. All right. Well, let's take a little break and then we'll come back with headliner of the week. Stay with us. My great-grandparents came to North Carolina with nothing, but through hard work, they helped make the Old North State what it is today, a land of opportunity, one that continues to attract those in search of a better life. It's natural to be wary of newcomers, but North Carolinians have a tradition of hospitality. It's how we show new neighbors what it means to be a Tar Heel. Immigrants, no matter where they came from, bring a lot to North Carolina, and North Carolina brings a lot to them. To learn how new families are making this state stronger, visit unitingnc.org. Welcome back. It is time for Headliner of the Week, where we talk about the most important person, place, thing, idea in this week's news. Uh, Lynn, why don't you start? Who's your Headliner of the Week? I'm going to pick Tar Heel basketball. Really, no serious connection to politics. I mean, uh, Roy, uh, Roy, I was going to say Roy, Roy Cooper. Cooper. <laughs> Roy Williams did denounce HB2 a couple of times. But, you know, seriously, um, Basketball overshadowed everything else that happened to the state this week, so I'm going with uh, I'm going with the Tar Heels. There's a, there's definitely a political connection there. Yeah, I mean, basketball be th- has been political for a while yeah. now, and, and they'll probably come into the legislature at some point to get honored and applauded. And maybe the White House. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe <laughs> he's going to have to think on that. Yeah, is what he said. Is what Williams said. So okay, Tar Heel basketball uh, in the hat for headliner of the week, uh, Craig. Who's your headliner of the week? 
the ghost of Jim Black. Uh, for those who are just tuning in, uh, Jim Black was sort of epitomized the uh, Democratic stronghold of the legislature for many years. Uh, he and Mark Basnight on the Senate side. Uh, to this day, you hear Republicans complain about how Democrats, you know, used parliamentary procedure to kind of muscle them out of the way. And well, we had an interesting uh, similarity with the tables being turned uh, this week to that, to the ghost of Jim Black. And that was there's a uh, bill that suddenly showed up and it started moving through the legislature that would uh, do a lot of things. But in a nutshell, it would decrease the liability or the amount of damages that uh, agricultural operations could uh, um, could have to pay in lawsuits brought by neighbors in these kind of nuisance lawsuits. Um, well, it's very controversial, a lot of uh, interest in it on both sides. And uh, the bill was was on a very long House calendar yesterday, actually almost at the very bottom of uh, dozens of bills, when uh, the House Speaker, Tim Moore, who had not been in the room, suddenly shows up, starts running the meeting again, and uh, calls out the bill number, uh, and then quickly, like within seconds, calls for a vote. And uh, p people are still kind of scrambling to their desk, like, what, what is he talking about? What, what bill? And they uh, voted, and uh, it, spoke, it needed a second vote, and that, but, but the Democrats kind of recovered in time to object to that, uh, to that second vote, so it was delayed. But uh, Moore just said that, he had, that there, nobody had their lights on to speak, and so... Uh, he just he called for the vote, but but uh, legislators were saying, "Wait, we didn't even know what what we were voting on." Several of them ended up changing their votes. Uh, at the end of the session, uh, John Rep Representative Blust from uh, Greensboro did what he often does, which is kind of lecture them gently on procedure. He's saying that if you're going to have a bill, you should talk about it. I didn't know how I was going to vote on that bill, but there was really no debate. Uh, so people were their heads were kind of spinning. It just seemed like to everybody like a, like kind of a fast move by Speaker Moore. Usually uh, they go in a sequence, right? There's yeah, like a calendar. There's with a calendar. They go one by one. And this was down toward the yeah. Nobody bottom. was ready for it to, to be sprung like that. Nobody really, you know, they don't pay attention half the time. It takes a while to kind of get up to the. That was speed. a long session yesterday, yeah, uh, Thursday. Really they had probably <clears throat> twenty, thirty bills yeah, on the calendar. Yeah. So for this to suddenly for you to say, uh, you know, next uh, House Bill. I think 457 or something like that. Uh, let's go to a second reading. All those in favor. And people were voting because that's what you're supposed to do when he says that. Then they thought, wait, what, what are we doing? So so uh, what does that bill do? The well, it's it would, um, I don't know all the aspects of it, but it basically deals with these lawsuits that people bring uh, either because, you know, one side says because they suddenly woke up and realized they live next to a hog farm or perhaps because the hog farm's, uh, expanded rapidly and create you know create some real uh, odor and other pollution problems. Uh, people sue over these things, of course. This would limit the amount of damages you could collect. Oh, and actually, more significantly, it would retroactively affect some number of lawsuits that are already pending, with about 500 plaintiffs from uh, mostly African American communities. Uh, so it it, uh, it it really has two distinct sides: the environmentalists and uh, Okay. And, the, and the industry battling it out. So the ghost of Jim Black, ghost although we Jim should Black. point out, I do not believe he's Jim not Black is dead. dead. He, he did come. He's <laughs> fallen off the place of the planet, though. We wanna, haven't seen him in a while. Well, he <laughs> want to imply that. He went to prison. He's, he's back home out of prison now, and he's, uh, you know, resigned from public life. I don't know if anyone has any good uh, Jim Black stories of when uh, he uh, did anything procedural that was uh, along the same lines, but... Uh, uh, think on it if you uh, if you come up with any by the end of this. According uh, to the Republicans, it wouldn't be hard to find. They were doing that kind of thing all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah.
Uh, all right. Well, Jim Black, former House Speaker in the House for in the hat for Headliner of the Week and uh, Tar Heel Basketball, also in the hat. Will, who's your Headliner of the Week? I will go with Richard Burr. Um, he is back in the spotlight. Uh, he is now kind of the, the lead person on the Trump-Russia investigations uh, with his work on the Senate Intelligence Committee now that uh, Devin Nunes or Nunes or Nunez or however you're supposed to pronounce his last name uh, has stepped down following some complaints about the uh, partisan way that he was going about those investigations. Um, and, uh, you know, Burr obviously has you know, had some pretty high-profile things before, like with the CIA torture report a few years ago, um, but this is, you know, going to take a lot of headlines, um, and he is now the the main guy on that, so we'll see uh, how this goes forward if, uh, you know, if anything comes of it, but Richard Burr. Yeah, and Senator Burr, I don't think, is, is used to necessarily having national reporters asking him questions every single day about the, the big or one of the two or three biggest topics in the news. He's I constantly see him quoted now in the national media um, about the latest development, whatever that is. Um, and uh, so he's, he's really at the center of things. Yeah, well, and uh, since we're talking about parliamentary procedures today, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy where I think a lot of the Senate committee's meetings like to operate – kind of in secret because often they're dealing with classified, you know, material and, you know, don't really like to be out in the public eye, like you were saying. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think this is going to require that. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he'll be dealing with a lot of leaks as well, probably from some some of the other side on his committee. So it'll be interesting to watch and uh, see, see how North Carolina's senior senator handles the pressure and the investigation. He and his uh, Democratic counterpart is it mark warner mark warner they, yeah. uh, they had a press conference uh, not very long ago where um, they were sort of it was described in news reports as, as almost being sort of smugly uh saying that you know everything's on schedule everything's <laughs> going smoothly over here i don't know what's up in that house committee uh it's, but it, it has seemed like kind of a mess over there in the on the house side and and things that there doesn't seem to be the same level of uh uh, um, confusion over on the on the Senate side. <laughs> yeah, so. Burr kept Trump at arm's length most of the campaign season. I mean, he supported Trump. He endorsed him. He showed up to one or two rallies. But certainly compared to some of the other uh, members of Congress, he's got, I think, less of a connection to Trump. So it probably helps that investigation look more neutral than the problems you were having with the House investigation. Yes. There was, uh, there was some people trying to make hay out of some of the comments that he was caught on tape saying about Trump. I can't remember if it was uh, basically – Related to Clinton, and uh, but but yeah, generally he was he was not uh, um, showing up at everything everything Trump in North Carolina. Uh, Colin, so I should say uh, Richard Burr, Senator Richard Burr, in the hat for headliner of the week, along with Tar Heel basketball and Jim Black. Uh, Colin, who's your headliner of the week? Right, I'm going with someone you probably hadn't heard of before this week, and it's uh, Joy Yvette Wilkerson from. Uh, Henderson, North Carolina. She was working as a temporary elections worker in Granville County last year when, according to investigators, uh, she accessed the county's voter registration database and restored or attempted to restore active voting status to 250 convicted felons who were removed from voter rolls while they complete an active sentence and were therefore ineligible to vote. She has been charged with uh, multiple counts of fraudulently altering voter registrations, which uh, comes with uh, 
felony penalties uh, if she's convicted. Um, I think it's still under investigation on some level. I believe the Board of Elections is trying to determine. Uh, they know for sure that the people that she uh, may have accessed uh, voter registration for uh, did not vote in the presidential election in November, but there's questions about whether anyone might have improperly voted in the primaries as a result of actions she allegedly took. Uh, so for that, uh, Joy Yvette Wilkerson, who I understand now works as a Waffle House uh, staff member, uh, is, is now uh, facing charges and uh, my choice for headliner. Okay. And that uh, resulted in a, a Republican press release, I guess, that uh, sort of said, see, there is uh, some level of Yeah, I mean, it, Republicans fraud. are very sensitive to this claim that's made by Democrats that voter fraud isn't really a problem. So anytime they see any, any actual concrete evidence of fraud, they're, they're quick to, to point it out. Um, and it is interesting in light of the fact that um, a lot of the election protests that the Republican Party lodged last year were about uh, what they believed to be active felons voting. Some of those people turned out to be wrongly accused of being active felons. It was a case of mistaken identity. Uh, but there were some instances where uh, the state did identify some folks who had voted. Um, and because the challenges came late, the votes actually were not taken out of, of being counted. And we still don't know for sure whether the people that this uh, person's accused of adding back to the rolls actually voted, right? Yeah, so that's what the State Board of Elections is trying to figure out now. They know that they've corrected the the problems uh, by the November election, uh, but uh, this was first identified in June, so it was right around the time of the second primary. So the question is whether um, any of this happened and uh, allowed someone to, to go to the polls or if they even knew they were had their registration restored um, in, in March or June. Okay, right. So we may find out more later, uh, we, but we don't know exactly whether this had an effect on any uh, any elections or had people voting that uh, shouldn't have been. Uh, okay, well, uh, Joy Yvette Wilkerson is in the hat for headliner of the week, along with Senator Richard Burr, former House Speaker Jim Black, and the Tar Heels. Uh, I'm sure uh, somebody who was a Tar Heel fan uh, would be uh, uh, jumping on that one, but uh, you've got the wrong host for that. So um, I'm going to go with Senator Richard Burr because it's hard to believe that we haven't uh, made him the headliner of the week yet for all of, uh, all of that he's been in the, the news for the last few weeks at the center of all this. Um, and maybe, we'll, uh, maybe somebody will, one of our avid listeners will write in to say that he has been, but I don't think so. I, I think we've I think I we haven't so, had him. No. I don't even remember him being nominated for it. So uh, I think it's probably overdue. So uh, Senator Richard Burr, uh, House Intel- I mean Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman, uh, is this week's headliner of the week. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. And on behalf of Will Doran, Colin Campbell, Lynn Bonner, and Craig Jarvis, I'm Jordan Schrader. Uh, catch us again next week on Domecast. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.